Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen and I am your host. Before we get started, we would love to get feedback from our listeners on topics you would be interested in us covering on the podcast. Beyond the Wrench truly wouldn't be where it is today without our listeners, and we want to ensure that we are providing the content that you want to hear. If you have a topic in mind, you can send an email to info at wrenchway.com. We do get some feedback from that, and it's always interesting, and I think it helps us understand what kind of guests that we'll have on the on the program and, and helps make sure that we bring you valuable information. And speaking of valuable information for today's episode, I have with me Ben Zimmerman, who is a teacher at Verona High School located in Verona, Wisconsin. We've actually had Ben on the podcast a couple of years ago, and we talked about how to attract high school students to the industry and, and a bunch of other things about his program. And we're going to catch up with him again today hear how he's growing the program and and where everything stands as of today. So Ben, excited to have you back, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. You've had some changes in your life or I guess some small changes in your life in terms of a family, <laughs> yes. I think, since the last time we spoke. But how, how's everything going? Pretty good. So I have an eight-month-old daughter, I guess almost eight and a half months now. She's awesome, not to brag, but we've been sleeping since she was two months old. So yeah. Got to love them. I, they sleep through the night and they barely fuss. I'm going to stop the podcast right now. That's that's unfair. <laughs> that, that, that shouldn't happen. How has that been in managing a child now with running the program at the same time? It's a lot different because before my wife worked full time, so all of the breaks and stuff, summertime, like I spent a ton of time at the school getting stuff done, just doing things that I didn't have time to do. And I don't have that possibility right now. So like... You know, I, I took the time and I built toolbox organizers for all of our toolboxes. I've been, I built all sorts of stuff to try to make my life easier in the shop and to help with organization. And that just kind of stopped really suddenly. I wrote a lot of, I wrote a lot of curriculum. I, I tested a lot of labs in the summertime and over breaks. And that's just, it's not happening. Part of fatherhood, my friend, it's, it, it does take more. T- I think it's pretty rewarding time and, and uh, being able to watch your, your child grow is, is pretty cool. And they talk about how fast it goes. I've got a five-year-old and it, it's insane how fast it goes. I, I don't, I don't think I quite knew what they were talking about until you experience it. Yeah. So it, t- tell me a little bit about the program. How's the health of the program? The program is really healthy right now. We're actually to the point to where we had to not run classes because we have, we don't have enough teachers. So I handed off a couple of classes to another teacher. Still don't know how I feel about that. You know, <laughs> you take the time to grow something and then you got to give it, a, give parts of it away. That's that's not easy. That's still not sitting well with me right now. But yeah, so we went from 16 kids enrolled in automotive my first year to we're at at least 190 right now, if not more. Wow. We could have, we have enough availability for me to teach only automotive. The only reason I didn't, I chose not to teach only automotive is I'm our dual credit teacher for welding. And so I need to teach the welding classes also. So in, in, how many years have you been at the high school now? So this is my fourth year at Verona, my sixth year teaching. So the, the, that year when you had the 19 students? 
Yeah, 16 students. So There's we 16, only had okay. one automotive class run. And then even that, the class only made it a month and a half because then it was 2020 and it started, that class started in late January of 2020. And I very much remember the Friday before spring break going, there's no way we'll be shut down. Get your, come on, kids. What are you doing? There's no way they're going to close schools. And it went a little differently than that. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I can only imagine the, the challenges as an educator trying to, especially with, with the stuff that you're teaching, needing to be hands-on and being able to actually get the things across to them that you need to. It's got to be difficult without being really hands-on. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know that anybody actually learned anything. We did lots and lots of theory, like, okay, we've talked about all of this, we've, but you you might understand how it works, but you don't necessarily know what the components look like. You don't know how to identify them on a car, like, you know, and yeah, a ball joint's a ball joint, but I can't just show you a picture and be like, it's here and draw an arrow. Like, there's a ton of components right there. Yeah. How, so talk to me about this enrollment thing a little bit, right? I think there's, in in my discussions with schools, with educators, Oftentimes you'll hear that maybe they're struggling to get that interest or they're struggling to get people into the program. And you went from, what'd you say, 16 to 190? Yes. Which is insane. Like what, what changed? Well, for one, our lab space, we got a brand new school in the fall of 2020. So we went from a single bay, two deep shop to a four bay, two deep shop that has like... So, you know, technically you're, you can work on eight cars, but we could probably fit 12 cars in there and work on them if we wanted to. It does, it no longer shares space with our small engines lab. So like there's just so much more space, so much more availability and the amount of equipment that we purchased is just absolutely massive. Yeah. You went from the outhouse to the penthouse like overnight. I've been able to tour the facility a few times and it is, it's impressive. I mean, the way that you have it laid out, the way, you know, the amount of equipment that you've got, the, you know, the resources that you've got in, like in that shop, pretty impressive, man, for high school. That's, that's pretty awesome to see. Yeah. I, I dug in really deep when we were doing purchasing for equipment and stuff. And I was just like, all right, what did I want when I was in high school? So I made sure like we have eight toolboxes all set up identically for the kids to use. They work in groups of two. My classes only have 16 kids in them. So everyone has a full toolbox at their disposal. And so, you know, I always think back of like, oh, you know, we have one 916, we have two 916 <laughs> sockets and three ratchets. You know, we're all working on Chevy small blocks. Well, nobody can do anything because there's only two sockets. Like, <laughs> I don't blame my teacher for that, but we only have so much money in our budget to be able to go buy stuff or people lose them or, you know, somebody puts it in their back pocket and goes to the next class and forgets they have it. Like it happens. Right. And how, I mean, you're not talking cheap stuff either. You, you, you did it right. Like there's some, you've got some really, really nice tooling. So we got snap on boxes, some snap on tooling before everybody freaks out. It's mostly not snap on tooling. Yeah, that's true. Um, it is all Williams brand, which is snap ons. I don't, economy brand and so we ended up with 
full tool sets in all of them. They're all Williams tools. They're all lifetime warranty. So it's when I was talking to the guys at Snap-on about it, I was just like, so hold on. You guys have a cheaper brand with the same warranty. And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, of course I want that. <laughs> <laughs> I can get more. Uh, it, so as you're growing the program, and I kind of want to walk through this in a little bit more detail, do you feel like it's shining more of a light on your automotive program as a whole? I mean, if if your enrollment has gone up that much, it shows that there's interest. Obviously, <laughs> there's a, a fairly substantial investment from the school side in that program. i got to assume that you're getting more attention from not only the students, but from the faculty, from the administration, from everybody. Yeah, I've been super lucky with having supportive administration. The 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 principal here, her son is actually an auto body technician. So that's awesome. You know, talk, can't talk about a better advocate than that when you have someone who's who knows exactly what their son is going through and saw the training and all of that. We have a new superintendent who is a soup he like as far as I can tell, he's super supportive. He brings up my program all the time. He brings up all of the programs, the metals program, the woods program, all of that. He talks about it. He talks about how important it is because, you know, if you don't know how to make something or you don't know how to fix something, you have to pay someone to do it. And those are jobs right there. Those are, those are places for people to go. He's a big advocate of not everybody needs to go to college. He's all for on-site training. He's all for apprenticeships. He's He's got a really big push to it, and I hope that it's going to really pan out for him. Well, you're in a neighboring town to us here. We're in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, and I was actually working with our local high school and talking. We've, we've done some really cool things where we, we have this committee called CAS, which is, is Community Alliance for the Skilled Trades, and essentially we had put this together to help support the school's tech ed program, and it's been really cool and we actually now have it it forced kind of this community coalition where we have school administration we have the village we have the chamber of commerce and basically we all sit in a room and we talk about things and one of the coolest things that i heard in one of my last meetings was that there was a an administrator in that meeting that said and i think i feel like this is a complete change in the the outlook of schools and i hope this is happening everywhere it sounds like it's happening there but basically she had said our job isn't to get them ready for a four-year school it's to get them ready for whatever path they're going to go down so they they are either going into work right away after high school or going to a tech school or going to a four-year college it's not up to us to decide which route they go. We just want to be able to prepare them for whatever that next step in their their life is. And for me, sitting back and for everything we advocate for and talk about, that was such a rewarding thing to hear because it's almost like it's starting to shift a little bit, right? We're starting to see that in schools where it's not just that four-year route. There's other opportunities. There's other options. And to hear you talk about your superintendent saying that same thing, I think schools are starting to get the message, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And some schools, the message never left, but a lot of schools it did. You know, like, we're a college-ready school. Like, okay, that's great. I know I threw the stat out there at one point in time. It was something like 60% of high schoolers go to college. So you're already discounting 40% if you only are trying to prepare them for college. And then of the 60%, only 50% of them, so 30% total, actually graduate. So now what do the other 70% actually do? 
And I don't know how accurate those numbers are anymore. This was like five years ago that I actually looked them up. But yeah, that that other 70% has to do something. And so what better than, you know what, find a trade, find something. I have kids all the time that are just like, well, I don't know what I want to do. It's like, well, take my class, take a bunch of my classes, and you'll either find something you want to do or find something you know you don't want to do. Like either way, it's a benefit because you're doing, you're getting that experience for free right now. Well, it, it, there's so much value in that too. And I don't think when we were kids, we probably heard that as much, but go do as much as you can or as many different things as you can to learn what you don't want to do because that's almost as important as learning what you want to do. You know, being able to understand where your skill set falls, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And then being able to go into, you know, whatever you're passionate about. So you don't just go throw a whole bunch of money at college and then not work in the field that you went to college for. I, I still see that a lot. Oh, yeah. That definitely happens a lot. Yeah. I, it's it's interesting. And, I mean, you think back to how crazy it is that you have to make a career decision when you're 18 years old. You know, like <laughs> you're, or like, hey, I'm going to go I'm going to go to college and get a history degree and not really have a full understanding of, you know, okay, how, how are you going to make money to support yourself down the road? And it's unfortunate, but still something, you know, I unfortunately see quite a bit. Yeah, I, I tell kids that all the time. Like, I'm, I went back to school in my late 20s to get a teaching degree. I probably am, I'm probably not going to go back to school again, but there's a good chance that I do another big career change sometime in my life because, let's face it, we all do. We're not letting you do another career change. You're you're you're, you're stuck now. You're you're a teacher forever now. We'll see. When I'm burned out, I'm burned out. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of Runtway School Connect? Runtway School Connect is a free tool that makes it easier for schools to connect with local shops and dealerships and get the resources they need to attract students to technician programs and educate them about the industry. Schools can post a request for donations and resources from shops. And shops can post resources they have available to schools in their area. Shops and schools can visit Runtway.com to contact us and learn more. Link is in the show notes. One of the things that I wanted to revisit from our last podcast, and I think we had such good response from the last podcast we did with you, even though it was a couple of years ago, we still hear people refer back to it which is talking about industry support for schools and at times the lack thereof of industry support. But from what I saw and what I followed along with, even after that podcast, I, th I thought there were some really cool things in terms of donations to the program, maybe a little bit more involvement with the program. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that? It sounded like we got a little bit more momentum going, but still a long way to go, right? Yeah, we, we got a little more momentum. We had a big advocate that the person that I was working with left and went to another dealership. And so like that kind of fizzled out a little bit, but in the process picked up a bigger dealership. And so that's awesome. Like, hey, we got a dealer that is really into this and is going to just is really going to dive into this. And they have like 18 locations in the Dane County area. It's awesome. My lights turned off. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. Um, and so they like they've been a massive advocate. So they they come and talk to all of my classes every semester. I make some time for them. They come in. They they actually called me up last week and went, "Hey, we have a we have a full rear axle 
Porsche opposed six-cylinder out of a 911 and some recalled cylinder heads that we can't use. Like, do you want them? Yeah, bring them down. Why not? They were here last week. They brought in a $140,000 car. Like, and then it's the kids are just like, well, can we sit in? Hell yeah, sit in it. <laughs> and it's it's the kind of things like that. And so then I like a week later, I walk into the lunchroom and I hear I hear some kids just like, there's a hundred thousand dollar car in the shop. Like, hey, there we go. That's that's where talk of about mouth. buzz. Yeah, you got some mm-hmm. buzz moving, and that's Zimbrick, right? Yep, that's Zimbrick. Yeah, so Zimbrick's a great client of ours. We do a lot of work with Zimbrick, and first, uh, it just first class people all around, and it's so. F- rewarding and fun to see that they're supporting your program and and you've got these new facilities you've got a lot of excitement about the program and then being able to bring that industry resource to you so you've got some things to work on you've got some different things to see even the excitement of bringing a a, a new car in like when we talk about trying to reach these young people what better way than with doing exactly what they just did right yep yeah, and actually last year when they were here, they got to talking to one of my students, and he's now employed with them. He is enrolled at Madison College in their diesel program, so he's enrolled. He's working for their Sprinter dealer, working on Sprinter vans. He's enrolled at Madison College. He got the Wisconsin Auto Truck Dealers Association scholarship, so he got fifty percent of his. He got five thousand dollars in for tuition. He got $5,000 of Snap-on tools. And then Zimbrick said, hey, if as long as your grades stay high, we're going to cover the rest of your tuition. Wow. So he's got his tuition covered. He's got a good set of tools to start. They implemented a tool reimbursement, not a tool reimbursement. Yeah, a tool reimbursement. So I think they said it's $1,000 a year for the first four years that they'll reimburse you for buying tools. And so it's just, hey, that's awesome. That's a little different than when we came in the industry, isn't it? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) That is way different. I still have a bunch of Harbor Freight wrenches sitting in my box (laughs) that I used to cut up and make into other wrenches because I needed to, like, get around a corner. (laughs) We we always did that, too. We'd go, there's a swap meet in Wisconsin. Ben's in our backyard, so he'll he'll know what I'm talking about. But always go to the Jefferson swap meet when I was a kid. Still go to this day. Actually, we've got like random car parts in the in our office from that swap meet. But it, same thing, go buy up cheap wrenches, cut them up, and try to you know make a special tool out of it or you know something along those lines. But yeah, I mean, it, I think it's so gratifying to see that, and yet we still see a lot of negativity about the industry if you're on any online forums or anything like that. But when if we were to take a step back and even, uh, technicians i'm talking to you if we were to take a, a step back and look at this as compared to even 5 years ago we've made strides in making it a better place to be don't you agree oh massively the the amount i feel like there's way happier technicians now than when i first started like i i remember my the first coworker i had was just the literal definition of the bitter old man you know it didn't matter i was young i was an idiot like no one ever gave me credit for what I was actually capable of doing. I think it was the first service call I went on. I get there and the customer goes, you leave, send someone with hair on their nuts. Like, are you kidding me? And so I just stood there and I was like, well, where's the piece of equipment? He goes, you heard me. I was like, where's the piece of equipment? And I got it fixed in a good amount of time. And he was just like, okay. 
And so then he called and I came back and by like the fourth call, he requested me. Like, just get the chip off of your shoulder of me being young. Let me prove to you that I'm worth something. And so, yeah, that like that's massive. Like, the industry's still growing. It's still, it's there's still more that needs to be done. Like, I mean, whatever. There's more that needs to be done in every industry. I always like to tell my students, like, 5% of every industry is sucks. Like, 5% of those employees aren't good at what they do, period. I don't care who you are or what industry it is. There's people that are there for the wrong reason, and that happens. And so it's more just, it's, Allowing the technicians to do what they can to prove themselves, like, you know, instead of just looking at this guy and being like, well, he's a young guy, or you end up pairing them with a bad mentor, like, that's going to drive people from the industry. And I feel like places, industry has gotten better at preventing that. And that's a great thing. Is that something you talk to your students about is, you know, maybe some red flags to look at in shops or maybe some horror stories that you've heard from industry and in ways that maybe you, you know, as a student, if you spend some time up front and make sure that you choose that, that correct place of business that you're going to go work with, chances that you stick in the industry are probably going to be a lot greater. Yeah. I, I tell my kids all the time, like if you look at something and it seems sketchy, if it seems not safe, if you know it's not safe and your boss is just like, nope, that's how we're doing it. Just do it. I, you know, quit that job. That person's not worth working for. They don't care about you. They don't care about the potential injury that's going to happen to you. Like, that's not worth it. I, I tell them all the time. I had a instructor at Madison College in the part of the diesel program. You have to take a welding class. And so we're, we're taking our welding metals class. And first day, he holds up his hand and he's missing a finger. And he goes, I lost this having fun. That's the only way that you should be okay with losing a finger. Like... And that's stuck with me. I tell my kids that, like, if you're having a great, like, if you're out and you're doing your hobby, like, and you end up, something bad ends up happening to you, you don't really regret that. But when you injure yourself because you did something dumb at work or cut a corner, that's going to stick with you forever. You're going to regret that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we, we were just talking before the podcast about, the safety and making sure that you keep your students safe and, and really, you know, knowing that, Hey, there's, there's dangers that come with this job and maybe ways that you wouldn't have if you're working behind a laptop. And, and I think being able to help them understand that early and then understand that when they go look at a shop, like, Hey, you know, is this place going to take care of me? Do they really care about me? And not just in a way of a paycheck, but more, Hey, they want me to go home in the same piece I came in, right? They they want me to go home with all the same fingers that I came in with. I, I think being able to evaluate that has to be difficult as a young person because you probably think you're invincible, right? At least I did when I was when I was their age. I I mean I I can't say I was any better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely run into that of like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll if something happens, I'll be fine, but you won't. And so just trying to get that point across of like. You know, if a car falls, like if you're under a car and you have it on a jack and don't have a jack stand underneath it, like that's not going to end well for you. And I, I even go to the point of finding news stories to where like person had it on the jack, the jack settled and the car sat down on their chest and they just slowly suffocated under the car as the jack just continued settling. Like you don't want this to be you. Yeah. Like, that sounds like a terrible way to go. 
It it really does. <laughs> that that doesn't sound ideal. And I think the reality is it can happen. I know this is probably 10 years ago, but there was a well-known individual that owned a, a body shop probably an hour away from where I sit today and been in the industry his entire life, was around cars all the time, made a stupid mistake from the sounds of it, didn't have a jack stand, was working by himself and something similar happened, right? And you read that and you're like, my gosh, it can even happen to people that have been around it forever. When I, part of the discussion I have is as you get more comfortable working with all of the equipment is when you tend to become less safe. You know, you get more comfortable using a lift. You become, you basically like kind of start to block out the little voice in the back of your head that's like double check it, just double check it. It's worth it. And you just kind of get to the point of like, well, I know I'm good and you lift it and you're not sitting right or whatever. You know, when it's, when I was in industry, you know, well, I know I'm supposed to tie off above six feet. This is seven feet, but whatever, you know, I'm not going to put my harness on for seven feet. And then, you know, somebody slip, you slip because it's raining or whatever. You just, you know, it's really simple to be like, this is only going to take five minutes. I don't want to take the 10 minutes to get all the safety in place to do a five minute job. It's so true. I, and I, we can lie to ourselves all we want, but I think even when you, I, when you're comfortable with something, it can be really, really easy to, to not go through the steps you're supposed to. And hopefully for you shops that are out there listening, you get your people in good enough routines to where it's second nature and they don't have to think about it. You know, I, I know, there's been a lot of shops that will, I worked in a shop in where safety, safety glasses were required. And going from not requiring safety glasses to requiring safety glasses and then trying to get everybody to adhere to that and not, you know, not get stressed out because of how many people were complaining about it. It's a, it's a transition, right? It's a, it's a cultural shift. And a lot of times there's, there's people that, you know, you're used to working one way and then you go a different way and it's, it's not easy. Another, speaking of safety glasses, one of my favorite things to do, I bring in a pair of safety glasses that survived four years of industry. Like, first off, the fact that I didn't lose them in four years <laughs> is ridiculous. But they are so scratched, and there's so much dirt shoved in all the scratches and oil and everything else. But they were my backup pair. They were always in my tool bag. And worst case scenario, there they are. Like, they suck. You can't see anything out of them. But they're better than nothing if you need to break out a grinder or are working with hydraulics. Like, it's better to just have them on than to, you know, what's the saying? It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. That's a good point. That's a good point. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Wrench. We'd like to take a minute to talk about this week's sponsor, Jasper Engines and Transmissions. Okay, your customer's engine or transmission has failed. But now is not the time for them to trade in their vehicle, not without a working engine or transmission. Besides, would they have kept their vehicle another three to five years if their engine or transmission had not let them down? If you answered yes, then Jesper Engines and Transmissions is your choice to give your customer vehicles new life and many thousands of miles of enjoyable driving performance. When considering the high cost of a new or newer used vehicle, there's a pretty good case to be made for replacing a drivetrain component that has failed or is delivering poor performance. Rather than trading in their car, truck, van, or SUV, install a quality remanufactured Jasper product 
for less than your customer would have to invest in a new vehicle or a newer used vehicle. Check out their website at jasperengines.com to learn more about the money-saving value of Jasper. I want to maybe take the conversation, and this is somewhat related to safety, but maybe kind of shifting a little bit. One of the most common complaints I hear from shops is how crazy it drives them that young people always have a cell phone in their hand. And I'm wondering, I'm curious as to whether it's something you see in this at the school level and, and if it, if you see it getting any worse or improvement or how, how, do, how does it stand in the school? It depends on the student. Really, I'd, I'd love to see a straight up cell phone ban in a, in a school, but in a school our size, I don't even know how you could do it. I don't know how you could take 1,800 kids' cell phones from them. <laughs> like, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you police that. It just, it seems absolutely crazy. You think requiring safety glasses is tough? Try taking people's cell phones away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The kids are, and there's some that are just so addicted to them. I do my best to keep phones out of the shop, but also all of my assignments are online. So all of our kids are given an iPad. Half of them don't know where they are or leave them at home or don't have them charged. And so then they, they need their cell phone to complete their assignments and to complete their work orders that they have to get done. And so we're in the shop, they have their cell phones out, like every now and then you look over and it's like, get off your phone, what are you doing? And so one of the things that I started doing is, you know, the kids respond when they get a low grade put in the grade book. They're like, but, but I didn't have time. You were on your phone the whole time. You had plenty of time to get this done. And so they'll come over to ask me a question and I'll pull out my cell phone and I'll start playing on it and ignore them for a minute. And they'll be like, what are you doing? Like the same thing you do to me every day. Don't even give me that. <laughs> that's that's uh that's a pretty good exercise and kind of showing your point or proving your point and i i wonder have you ever had anybody from industry talk to the students about about that issue or you know i i think it might often be kind of put on the back burner or not talked about when somebody comes in because the person wants their their shop to shine, right? They want people to want to come to work for them after they graduate or after they go to tech school. It, 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 do you have you ever ever had a time where maybe you have an industry person come in and talk about cell phone usage? I haven't. I've talked to them about how I used mine when I was in industry. Like my cell phone was always on my toolbox. If it went off, I would glance at it. But for the most part, like. There's no message that I got during the day that needed an immediate response. It could wait till lunch. It could wait till like, all right, I'm cleaning my stuff up. My hands are clean. I can write someone a text message real quick and then go back. Like it's basically the end of the day. And so just a very different, just a very different scenario from what most of the kids are. You know, I, I had one coworker in industry that he was supposed to be changing out a hydraulic fan on a combine and it took him, he's, it took him 14 hours, and finally they were like, what is going on? And turns out he wedged himself up into the combine and was watching YouTube videos all day. Like, He's like, I can't get the bolts loose. And so finally, after the end of the second day, one of my coworkers climbed up and broke all four bolts loose in about 30 seconds. I think that's what drives industry nuts, right, is that. I don't think they're overly opposed to them having cell phones, it's the the fact that one, it's hard to be able to 
verify that they're actually using their cell phone for something productive so they don't know it's kind of that that uncertainty of knowing what somebody's using a cell phone for there's a lot of great resources you can use on your cell phone there's a lot of great data or a lot of great maybe training that you can get through your cell phone but i think it's the the unknown you, you don't know if they're screwing off and then you hear about something like that where somebody's abusing it and it's hard not to think that's the case yeah yeah, that's hard. I know I got, I had a customer complain that I was on the phone one day at a job. I'm at the job site, I'm on the phone, and they just saw me on my phone. They were nowhere near me. They couldn't hear what I was saying. They called up and they got put on hold to wait to talk to my boss. And my boss finally gets off the phone with me, picks up the phone with them, and it's the customer. Your tech is out here on the phone. He's like, yeah, he called me. We were working through diagnosing something. It's like I had the service manual sitting in front of me. We were trying to work through stuff. I, I think it's more of the, even from the customer standpoint, right? It's the it's the unknown, like not knowing what's going on and being kind of freaked out by that. I I understand it. It it sucks. I think it's a new reality. I think it's, you know, part of our lives now. It, it's not, not probably going away anytime soon. No, hopefully. I mean, get rid of all smartphones, but that'll never happen. <laughs> Go back to flip phones, right? Team flip phone. Let's talk about growth of the program. Going from that little students to that many students so fast, I'm sure it was all cherry and rosy and there were no growing pains, right? <laughs> There's always growing pains. How difficult is it to, to ramp up that fast? It is not easy. And it wasn't, you know, I, I had goals for the program. I had no expectation to meet the, to be where we are today when I first started it. I was like, you know, it'd be cool to get like three auto classes in place and have this consumer auto class running to where it's like all good maintenance items. And I never expected, like my, the first year the school was open here, I think we had like one auto one class and it was virtual. So yay. And then I had two of my consumer auto classes and that was about it and it was just like yeah these classes really aren't going to take off are they and i ran a summer school class one summer and the next year my numbers just blew up and i i assume it's just word of mouth of like hey this class like you do this you do this you actually get to work on cars you actually get to do this stuff it's not just sitting and reading a book yeah i i think i mean i put myself in their shoes back when i was their age the last thing I wanted to do was sit in a classroom. So if I could go take a shop class, get my hands dirty, learn something, actually learn something that I could put my hands on, I think there's a lot of attractiveness about that in a in a high school environment, especially to where you know it almost doesn't feel like you're in class. You're you're doing something maybe a little bit different, and you get to move around a little bit, and it's not necessarily just sitting behind a computer or sitting in a textbook or something like that. So I, I think that's interesting. Give us an idea, like how many different automotive classes do you offer or what's what's available? So I do a consumer automotive class. So that is all about good car ownership. It's maintenance, it's oil changes. I talk about reading service reports, looking at bills, things like that. So it's, it's yeah, it's it's good car ownership. It's like we talk about brakes. I talk about how they work a little bit. We only spend like two days on brakes and I teach them how to do an inspection. And it's more of a, you know, if you, you know, you can take your wheel off, you can take a look at everything and you can determine like, oh, I do actually need brake pads. And then when someone gives you a quote and the, the quote has 
you look at it and go, oh God, that's expensive. You can go look up the parts and see, like, is this actually a reasonable time? I talk about the importance of, I mean, there's going to be people that disagree with me on this, but at the cost of rotors right now, it's not worth reusing them. And so I tell my kids, like, you know, even if it only needs pads, just put rotors on it. They're, they're not expensive. It's worth it. It'll make the pads last longer. You know, grinding, I understand using a brake lathe is something that a lot of warranties require, not saying that it's a bad thing to do. But if a vehicle's out of warranty and you're just doing a brake job, you're kind of wasting your time to put a brake lathe on it unless it's a $200 rotor. Yeah. I, and I feel like that's kind of, it, it surprises me that there's still many shops that are using brake lathes and turning rotors because it, Rotors are, like you said, pretty cheap for the most part. It's not like it's some super, super expensive thing unless you're buying some performance brakes or something. So, yeah, I, I, and like you said, I think some of it's mandated by the OEs or, you know, whether it's a, a warranty job or potentially a recall or something like that, but I, maybe not even a recall really. But yeah, it, it, it is odd to me. That felt like that was shifting 20 years ago when I first got in the industry and, and there's still, still lays in plenty of shops across the U.S. Yeah. So yeah, so I have that consumer auto class and then we have my automotive one, which is essentially brake steering and suspension. So we, we get in depth into them. The kids work on cars. We take, we started, we've covered steering so far. We can't go too deep into steering without getting into alignment, but you can't get into alignment without doing suspension. I normally started with brakes and then I, I make every kid do an alignment. And so we'd be covering alignment with like a week left of the semester. And it's like, well, great. Now I need to try to get 16 kids to each do an alignment in one hour. It can't happen. And so I decided to switch it around to have more time to have every kid do their own alignment. And then I think the other thing that really helps out is I tell the kids, like, do you, if you have a car, do the alignment on your car. Why not? What's it going to hurt? And so that, that class has been really nice. Normally I'll buy new parts for a vehicle and we'll actually like fix up one of the cars. It's wasted money because we can't sell the cars when we're done with it, but it's an experience. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go take your old brake pads and rotors off and put them back on your car. Like that's just not, not if you're doing a brake job at least. Last year we had a couple calipers seized up on a couple of cars. Like, yeah, let's replace them. Here's let's bleed the brakes. Let's let's intentionally do some of this stuff. So yeah, and then it gives them the the feel of like, all right, you know, I, I hit the brake pedal, the brake pedal drops to the floor. That's an issue. Because most people, hopefully, they don't ever have to feel that. Yeah, that, that feeling sucks. That's not a fun one. Do you I think last time you were on the podcast, you were in the market or you were trying to find an alignment machine, right? Yes. You had the rack but not the machine. Yes. And so now you got you have an actual alignment machine. We have all of it. So we had the rack. That was one of the things that I purchased with our budget. And then before I started working with Zimbrick quite heavily, I reached out to Hunter to see just to get an idea of like what does this actually cost. And so they came out with, you know, a discounted quote, but if anyone in here has priced alignment machines, they're not, cheap. not exactly cheap. But it turns out the Zimbrick, I think it was Zimbrick Audi or Volkswagen, I don't remember which one, they replaced theirs every three years. And so it had just been unbolted from their wall. And so we spent a little bit of money to get all the software upgraded. So we're good to 2021 vehicles. 
And I think I got it all together and installed for $2,500 for everything. And it, it's something that when you look at the industry involvement, and, and I love that Zimbrick is doing this because it, it's helping you build a program and they see more of the big picture, right? They see more of, hey, if Ben is in that class and he's teaching these young people about this and even maybe you take somebody from that consumer automotive into automotive one that maybe wouldn't have gone that route had they not taken that consumer automotive, you start to kind of see the vision of of this, right? Where, hey, if I build a better program, we're, we might attract more people than we would have otherwise. And it's it's reality, right? This is something that you're seeing in your program. So far, yeah, that we're seeing a lot of that. You know, you could make the argument that, well, some of these kids already knew they wanted to be a mechanic. Sure. You're right. I also had some kids that have taken my classes and been like, I want to be a mechanic and decided, no, this isn't for me. You know, I've had a couple, I have a few kids right now that I can't get out of my shop and they had no interest in cars. They were just like, well, my, my dad's making me take this class. And they took the class and they willingly signed up for another one and then another one. And they end up being here for, in my room for four years. Don't get me wrong. Those are the kids that, those are the kids that we're here for. I mean, we're here for all of them. But it's really, it's a lot of fun to see the kids that are just like coming in and thriving. And if they start to see, you know, somebody from a Zimbrick coming in and start to get familiar with them, or maybe somebody from Zimbrick comes in and, and teaches you something about that Hunter machine, or, you know, as they're, even if they're bringing in that engine and they start to see that person, you know, I think it can't help but create some comfort with, with that that person at the dealership and it's not just driving past Zimbrick and seeing their gigantic beautiful buildings and being super intimidated by it they actually see hey you know Paul Essie's coming into our shop and we're really familiar with him and we like him and he's a nice guy and it's not a, I don't believe it's as intimidating of a process than that time when you know Paul goes out and tries to get them to come to work for him because they already know who he is yeah, when when Paul shows up and he's the general manager of the dealership, like I don't know about you, but I never in all of my time in industry, I never met the general manager of the dealership that I worked with. It was someone that locked locked themselves up in their office or was in a different location entirely and you never met them. And actually when they were here last time, they mentioned that one of the one of these Zimbricks when he comes to the location to like do their audit and stuff, he pulls out his bag lunch and goes and sits in the lunchroom with the techs and just talks shop with them. Like, that's not something you normally hear. And so we end up with, like, to have people, like, to have Paul come in and to make his face seen and to just have a candid conversation with the kids. Like, I've had kids ask him super random things. I and, can't imagine. <laughs> and he just rolls with it. And he's just like, yeah. Like let's let's have a very short conversation about this, but sure, why not? Well, that's something we try to explain to shops all the time, right? Is that you know that donation is probably more than a donation, right? That that's your olive branch to be able to get into the school and talk to people and get to know Ben and get to know you know whatever instructors are in there because without that. You you don't have that connection, but if you're if you're in there and you're really trying to be a resource, one I I, I can't 
I'm guessing this is a huge benefit to you because you're getting those parts to work on. And even if it's component identification or it's being able to tear into something and just seeing what it looks like, without those parts, it you can't do it. Well, the biggest thing is to have something that if it doesn't go back together correctly, we're not out anything. Because let's face it, they're kids and they're learning. They're going to break stuff. It's going to happen. And so to have a core engine that we can work on the timing and things like that. But when we spit it, when we spin it over and the valves kiss the pistons, we're not out anything. It happened, whatever. Like we're not, we don't have a car that now doesn't move or you didn't do it to your own car. Like I'm all for letting the kids work on their own vehicles, but you know, like you want to do something major, let's practice on something that doesn't matter first. Yeah. And you, I think in a lot of ways you're taking the pressure off of them to tinker, right? Uh, to be able yep. to explore and see how things work and in a way that there's not a lot of pressure. Right? You can do it. You can screw up. In fact, hopefully you screw up so you can learn a lesson on something that doesn't matter, right? I think that that that's not something that I don't I, I believe I was afforded growing up was as cars became more and more complex there was less and less tinkering going on because you're terrified of breaking something. Yep. As as someone that's from industry, yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, you're yeah. digging into a new $400,000 excavator or wheel loader and you're just like, well, I think this is how this is supposed to work, but I'm not exactly sure. And I don't know that I, like, I'm going to spend more time reading about this first just to make sure. It is. It it. Uh... I, I can't compliment, and, and I don't want to make this an advertisement for Zimbrick, but I, this is the way it should be done, it, it is be, uh, being able to be a resource for the school, be able to talk to the kids. I mean, it, like you said, just a, the fact that a general manager is in there talking with the kids and making them feel like they're welcome in the industry as a whole. But, you know, I, you're what? Probably... 10, 10, 15 miles away from where the where Paul's dealership is at? Yeah, 10 to 15 miles away. We're not even, like, they're, they don't even pay taxes to our district. Their taxes go to a different school district. So, yeah, it's just the fact that they're, they just want to help, and they don't care who they're helping. You know, if they got their way, they would help. Actually, I know Zimbrick helps other districts also. They do. Like, they just, they know how to get out there and... I don't necessarily want to say promote themselves, but they understand that by helping, and it doesn't matter the district you're helping, but by helping, they're just helping the industry in general. Like and their care is, can we get techs in industry? They don't care if you go to work for Zimbrick or not, but if they can get you to go to industry, that helps the industry. It, it does. And I, I feel like there's, you know, the, the common comment that I get is, hey, Jay, I just don't have time to do any of this stuff, whether it's recruiting veteran technicians or students going and talking to students. You got to make it a priority. You, you put it in your schedule just like you would a, a, a doctor appointment. You know, if you have a doctor appointment, and you're dying. You're going to you're going to make time for that. Right. And I think what it shows is maybe a lack of prioritization when industry doesn't get involved with schools because it sucks. I know being in a service manager's shoes or a general manager's shoes, you have a million things going on every day and it feels like you're chasing your tail. 
But in reality, you're not ever going to make your life any different or any easier if you're not involved with schools, if you're not involved with your recruiting process, if you're just being completely reactive, or if you're just worried that other other shops are going to take the text that you're raising up and that you're treating well, you got the wrong mentality. I mean, even if that tech grows up and goes somewhere else, in the back of their mind, they're going to remember that you treated them pretty well at one point, you know, at, when, when you were a young person and really couldn't probably bring all that much to the table. I think that creates some level of loyalty to your shop. Yeah, definitely. Like when I asked for time commitments from shops, like, you know, I, I brought up a lot of stuff about Zimbrick and, but I only asked them to show up two days a year. Like beyond that, when they call me and are like, Hey, we have this, I usually just go pick it up. Like, do you have someone that can take five minutes with a forklift and slide a pallet in the bed of my truck? Like, we all know that there's somebody there. Like, I don't want to discount. I don't want to discount parts guys or travel guys or whatever, but someone can make five minutes in their day to load a pallet in the back of my truck. And it's not um, just, it's not even just that, Ben. I think it's, if you can make an educator <coughs> feel like they're not an inconvenience, right? Like it, it, make them feel welcome. If they're coming to your dealership or your shop and, you know, I think we've all seen that where it's like, oh. They're here. I got to go do this. You know, that kind of that kind of attitude. And I, that's not the right approach. You as shops and Ben, I don't want to put words in your mouth because it's got to be frustrating at times if you feel like you're trying to beat down the doors of these shops and trying to get support and help and you're finding resistance. And it, it it's got to kind of cut your will to actually try to go out and work with them, doesn't it? I've basically adopted the like, I'll send you an email or two and at that point in time, if you're not going to, like, if you won't give me a time to try to meet. So I always start with, I'll send an email and just say, hey, this is who I am. I'd like to come and, like, could you set aside an hour so we could have a discussion and just kind of, I could get to know what you're doing and I could tell you about what I'm doing. And I leave it super open-ended. I don't ever show up expecting anything. I just show up with the purpose of, like, hey, can we talk? And... I give, I try a couple of times and after the second, maybe third time, depending on how the second time went, if I'm not getting responses, I'm just done messaging. Cause the other thing that, that industry needs to remember is we're really busy too. You know, I, I have curriculum that we ended up getting in a scholarship, but I put my spin on all of it. I make a lot of my own assignments. I, right now I get 45 minutes a day to actually maintain two, all of the equipment in two shops to set up labs, to tear down labs and to clean and to write curriculum and all of that. Like that's not a lot of time. And so to have, to have that understanding also of just cause the teacher didn't reach out to you doesn't mean you can't reach out to them. And in fact, it makes the teacher's life easier. I, 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 I would assume that somebody reaching out and trying to say, Hey Ben, can I help you? It, it's got to be a little refreshing. Well, even to just the, hey, we're checking in. How are things going? Like, just to not let that conversation die. Because that's most of my, most of what I've had is that. Whether it's, and it's not exclusive to automotive. It's happened with welding shops. It's happened with manufacturing shops to where, you know, 
you you meet, you have a great conversation, like, yeah, I'd like to move forward. Let's work on some stuff. And then it's just kind of like, haven't heard from them, send an email, don't really get a response. Like, well, that, uh, great, I wasted that time. <laughs> it's frustrating. One thing I did want to touch on that I think I've learned since the last time we had the podcast was you have a really unique way of going about your advisory committee. And I thought it was pretty fascinating the first time I sat through a meeting. It was I, I joined virtually, but you've collaborated and teamed up with, with neighboring schools. Can you walk me through like how that works or how that happened? So I need to give them all of the credit in the world. Yeah. So it's us, it's Sun Prairie, McFarland, and Oregon. So Sun Prairie, McFarland, and Oregon were already doing advisory meetings together, and they invited me to join them. So I got to give them all the credit because they established all of this. I just kind of hitched my hitched to the wagon and got carried along. <laughs> well, from an industry um, standpoint, though, that it's so convenient because you can talk to you know, your four different programs in the same advisory committee. I, I think you guys have a lot of the same hurdles that you're trying to get around and being able to, to talk collaboratively. It just, it makes so much sense. Yeah. So what we do is we meet every fall and every spring. And so the four of us get together at one of the schools and it all, it alternates the schools. I have no idea who's supposed to be this fall. I hope it's not me, but maybe it is. I, I just don't want to take the time to do it. <laughs> but so to have, to invite all of Dane County or as many people as we can from Dane County to one school to all get updates from four different programs at a time, you know, it's really big. It gets us, it gets all of us more exposure. It gets all of us talking to more people because on this side of town, like you know this, there isn't much for auto diesel on this side of town. There isn't. You know, most of it is up by Sun Prairie. So I'm not usually one to be like, hey, let's try to set up a field trip up to JX Peterbilt because I know they put on a great field trip for the kids because I've heard about it. But that's a long drive or a decent drive. I shouldn't say long. It's about a 40 minute drive along with bus and chaperones and everything else. It's a lot to try to coordinate where Sun Prairie is like, it's five minutes down the road. And so it's not that I wouldn't love to get up there. It's just a harder thing to do when you have to be gone, when it's a full day trip instead of like, we can be there and back in an hour and a half. Yeah. How have, have you learned anything from the other schools as you've, as you've done this? Definitely. They've helped me. They've helped me get the Wisconsin Auto Truck Dealers curriculum. We bounce ideas off of each other, like, to Ned Lease in Oregon, he's, he basically shared his full curriculum with me my first year teaching here. You know, like that's not something he has to do, but to give me his assignments and stuff, like that's just, it's us helping each other. These guys are just like, what do you need? This is exactly what I do. How can I help? And it's been great and refreshing just because, you know, it is like, yeah, I could probably have put together this program. It would have taken me longer without the help. It most definitely would have taken me longer without the help from those guys. Why, why do you think that is? Because I've, I've noticed that myself with really being protective of their, like certain tech ed teachers, very protective of their materials or the way they do they go about things. It, it's confusing to me. I, I don't get it. I compare it to technicians with their tools. Ooh. 
you know, think think of the the older guy at the shop, or at, actually anybody at the shop that goes, well, you know, if you need to use that tool twice, you should twice in a year, you should just buy it instead of borrow mine. You're right, but how expensive is that tool? Are you only using it twice a year? Did you buy it because it was convenient? And so it's just, you know, it's that I don't necessarily know if I want to share, and it's not they're worried about you breaking it. It's not they're worried, you know, like. It's the effort and, and that like, hey, yeah, that it's like, one thing on their mind that an additional thing on their mind that they've got to pay attention to. And so I think it's, you know, it's it's not like we're competing for students. We're public schools. Like, is there some competition? Well, of course there is, because that's the nature of education right now. But I don't know that there's students leaving Oregon to come here to have school to take my classes over Ned's classes. It's not I don't think that's happening. I 100% agree. And at the end of the day, I don't know why you wouldn't want to collaborate with, you know, neighboring schools to be able to, maybe it's even being able to have them, you know, some students that, that want to check out a different uh, a school's program or go through and look. And that's one thing I've encouraged our local educators to do is, hey, I know my buddy Ben down the road has a great program and a great setup. Why don't you head on down, you know, the what, 12 miles or whatever it is? Go. I don't even think it's that far. <laughs> no, like go go talk to him and just learn from him and, and understand what they're doing as they're trying to grow and, and really build a program. And it it's frustrating when I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, hey, here you go, here you go. And the, the connection isn't made, right? Because it is something that I see a huge benefit out of if schools are working together and, you know, maybe it is some year you don't have it in the budget to buy a certain tool, but the neighboring school has that tool and you can work together to try and make it work, you know, make tools work together. So you don't have to spend all the money. And I, I don't know, is that a thing? Have you, have, is that something that has happened or could happen? It's something that happens in other areas, not so much auto. So the Dane County School Consortium will buy tools like they bought a set of they they helped some schools buy some welding simulators and so then that welding simulator goes and lives at each school for x amount of time and so that's like it's a way to pool the resources to be able to do it now the I think that gets a little muddy of like then you have to get administrators involved and central offices and you know are they going to be super protective of it? Of course they are. It's money. And sadly, right now, school feels a lot like a business over just a straight up school because that's kind of what it's been turned into mildly, not super right. competitive, but mildly. And so, so that does get a little trickier. But I also me, wonder if part of the part of it is like a pride thing of like, I don't want to admit that I that I need the help. Gosh, I. It just blows my mind. And then, so say if you wanted to, say you, you had a special tool for something, right? So say an engine tool and, you know, you're maybe teaching one of your more advanced auto, like automotive classes. Would you have to go through school admission, uh, administration to be able to borrow that tool to another school? Or like, it's not just like, hey, Fred, you got this, <laughs> you, you're working on this project, you need this tool, here you go. Do you have to go through channels to do anything? I think that would depend on the cost of the tool. Sure. Like, if it's a, 
if it's like a eighty dollar socket, like whatever, you know, sure. I'll I'll gladly like, you know, hey, you know, take this for a couple of weeks, bring it back. But when if you start talking to like a couple thousand dollar diagnostic tool or something, that's where you kind of start to hit the hit the red flags. But it also depends on what you have for classes. Like if I'm running all of my auto, if I'm running multiple sections of my auto two and we're doing a lot of diagnostic work, I can't give up a diagnostic tool. If we're covering drivetrains and it's say axle nut sockets, I need those. But if those classes aren't running that semester, I don't. You know, it, so it, it's just so kind of dependent. Well, and I think it all starts maybe with that relationship, and that's where I think, you know, being collaborative in something like an advisory committee and <laughs> being able to have multiple schools where you have one group of, of, of an advisory committee, it kind of pushes some of that collaboration a little bit more. Or even being able to vent about something that maybe nobody else would understand except another tech ed in instructor, right? Like It just feels like it's such a such an obvious thing to help grow your program, yet I don't see it very often. Yeah. Would you um, suggest Would you suggest a school, would you prefer to do one on your own or do one collaboratively? Right now, the collaborative one has been really good for me, and it actually makes life a lot easier on the businesses because they only have to commit to one. They don't have to commit to four. And so I think we get a better response because of it. It really just depends on your area you know there's some parts of wisconsin to where it doesn't make sense because they're so spread out like your advisory board is going to be the the three local places and sure. that's about it but you get to bigger cities and things like that like why not so why not bring in the couple little local small town schools that can also help like you know i mean we're not a small school but we're technically a small town and then you know, just kind of build off of that. That's interesting. I it, it's I think as you're talking, you've got my wheels going, and it's because of the collaboration that's possible with schools. As we look to, you know, how do we make these programs stronger? You know, we talk about industry a lot, getting involved. We had some excellent examples of that over the course of the podcast with our friends over at Zimbrick, which is really cool. That wasn't something we planned going into this at all. <laughs> it was just more like it, 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 like when you were talking about them, I knew exactly who you're talking about. And I think it's because of their reputation and, and because I know the people there and I know that they would go out of their way to do this kind of thing. So that, that's really cool. But then schools that are out there listening, look at other schools. Maybe even if it's just more of a more of a, a group where you can sit down and chat through things and, and you know, work through issues that you might have in your program, whether they're budgetary or whether they're ways to teach, you know, different teaching pr practices. I, I there's a lot of opportunity out there and I think I give you a lot of lot of credit for growing that program over there. You got put in a big, big school and have done an excellent job at growing the program, a really good job at growing relationships. I still think there's a lot of relationships out there for you to be had. But I, definitely. I, I think it's it's been a real pleasure to be able to watch you kind of grow this thing. I think it's really cool what you've done. Well, thank you. All right. The last question for you. What's the status on the uh, the race car? Is it gone because of baby or is it? are you, you still tinkering? What are you doing? My race car? Yeah. Oh, my God. I don't even want to talk about my race car. I decided 
not to, I decided to sell it this summer because of baby. And so it's an endurance race car. I've never actually built an engine for my own car because I'm just going to plug the race program that I was in 24 hours of lemons. It's a cool, it's a cool program. It's, it's a cool program. And so I always raced within the spirit of the $500 car. Like engines got 240,000 miles on it. Send it. Like, why not? <laughs> Like if I, if I go put bearings through it and make it reliable, I'm going to be over the $500. And so I finally took the time. I, I prepped a block. I, I prepped a crank. I redid everything. Like I finally built an engine. I sell the car to some really nice guys out of Iowa and the damn thing runs for 18 hours straight without a single hiccup. <laughs> Like I go through two engines a weekend running that thing and they have zero issues. And it is just like, (sighs) you gotta be kidding me. Of course that's what's going to happen. I hope, I hope as the family gets older that you're able to do it again. It, as you explained it to me and I had heard about it before to see your car up close and see, you know, the work (laughs) you put into it. It it was really cool. You know, I, I grew up around racing and I had always heard about this thing, at least the past few years anyways, and saw what you were doing. And the fact that you get, you, you get to go to road America or you get to go to, I mean, they have some great racetracks they go to. And even just to be able to take spins and take laps on those tracks, I mean, just for that alone is is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's it's a great experience. I I really enjoyed it. I'm still not a great driver, but I hey, who cares? <laughs> Driving a slow car anyway, what's it matter? I think you're the first race car driver ever to say that that I'm not a great driver. Oh God, I know I'm not. I don't lie to myself. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I the, the first time I raced, they were taking bets on how slow I was going to be, and I was our second fastest driver, but I was still 10 seconds off our fastest driver for their lap times. Like, I was still nowhere near. I I haven't been on a racetrack before. I don't know how to get a line. Like, I'm just kind of sitting there pounding the crap out of it. I, You know what's funny is I think the outsider's view of racing is that you just hop in a car and you go fast and there's not much skill to it. But I – and I've got friends that think that because I'm a diehard race fan. They might not be. And I'm like, you have no idea until you get in one how humbling of an experience it can be and how how hard it is, right? Like it just – you don't know until you do it. Oh, are, are you ready for the worst part of this race? So they went 18 hours without a single hiccup. And they made it. They ran a six and a half hour stint on one tank of fuel. Like, are you kidding me? They used 32 gallons of fuel for the entire race. Like, I, I don't know how, but like, what? <laughs> Which is probably good from a budgetary perspective because gas was out of control. Yeah. So that's a, you probably saved them a whole bunch of money too. Well, it's, it's great for the budget. And then when you're looking at endurance racing, pit stops take time. You get a guy that can sit in the car for three hours, pull him out, throw another one in and not have to put any fuel in. Like that saves you a ton of time. Like I said, they were, they still aren't fast. Because it's not a fast car. <laughs> That's half the fun, though. Seeing how they dress them up and see, you know, all the different stuff they do. It's, I, I have not been to one of those races yet, but that is that is on my bucket list. I want to, I want to make sure I go out and attend one. 
Nice. Someday I'll race in one. That'll, that'll be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, it, as always, it was a pleasure catching up with you. And thanks for sharing kind of the status and, and update from our last podcast on how the program's doing. Happy to hear it's healthy. Happy to hear you're growing it. Happy to hear we're getting more industry support in there. And, and just wanted to let you know you're doing a heck of a job and we appreciate having you on. Awesome. Thank you. Do you mind if I plug one thing real quick? Please, please do. So when it comes to like, even if you can't help financially, if you can't help with parts, if you can't help with any of that with your school, read up on the referendums that are happening because let's face it, it's almost November and vote. I mean, ideally vote for, but read the referendum. Make sure it's actually something you agree with first. Don't just look at it and be like, oh, hey, it's, it's spending money or whatever. Because when those referendums fail, these my classes are an easy cut. Think about how expensive it is to run a shop. Now run a shop about education to where things get broken more frequently, things get used more wastefully. And it's not that we want that to happen. That's just the nature of kids. And so when referendums fail, we're a very easy cut. I made the joke to my students actually this week about like, I bet they can tell when we have a welding class running based on our electric bill. Because now suddenly we have 10 to 20 outlets all drawn at the same time. So that's, yeah, if I can plug that, that'd be awesome. I think it was excellent timing to do so. And it is super important. Make sure you read through and understand what it is you're voting for. And I, you know, I, our, our schools need our help that these programs specifically, we talk about it a lot, how, how, how close some of them are to the cut line. And we can't afford that as an industry. We, we need these people in the industry. So really, really happy you brought that up. That was a, that was a great point. So good luck with that and good luck with everything else. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. That wraps up this week's episode of Beyond the Wrench. Be sure to tune in next week for another brand new episode. As a reminder, don't forget to rate and follow Beyond the Wrench on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps us get Beyond the Wrench in front of other fantastic shop owners, managers, technicians, and dealers just like you, so we can continue to help improve, promote, and grow this amazing industry. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back next week. 